podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we are continuing our opponent preview for the Big 12 season coming up here in 2023. The first season where we have 14 teams in the conference instead of, you know, the 10 or 12 that we've had in the past. And joining me today to talk about one of those teams, the upcoming opponent, the UCF Knights. Uh, it is uh, Adam Eaton from the Sons of UCF podcast. Adam, how are you doing today? Andy, I'm fantastic. I'm excited to make my hopefully first of many appearances with you on uh, on this fine program. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. We're, we're definitely going to have you on before the actual game in the, in the year. And you know what? I'm sure that, you know, we'll have basketball games and plenty of stuff to talk about. Um, I am looking forward to having... You know, these new four new schools in the conference, I'm glad that we have the ones that we do. Um, and, hey, how does it feel to be one of, you know, two teams after next year that can claim a Big 12 – or, I'm sorry, that can claim a national championship, you know, in, in the Big 12? It's fantastic. I mean, it's a, it's a weight off our shoulders. I mean, it's finally it, – it's good that we finally get the recognition we deserve. Look, I know you, UCF fans, we're going to get a ton of crap all this time. It's fun on Twitter to get crap for the national championship oh, stuff. Oh, of course. And, I would tell you that over the last six years, fans of UCF, the thick skin has developed. And I think we're all, we're all used to it and we're ready for the slings and arrows about the national championship, but it's in a book. It's on the stadium. So as far as I can tell, it's real. Yeah. You know, it's funny because we talk about the four new schools who come in and I think all four of them are broadening the horizons for how we can make fun of each other uh, as, as conference yeah. mates. You know, you've got BYU, which is all of the LDS Mormon jokes, uh, me being one of them, I know all of them. I've heard all of them before, but yeah, they're 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 just as funny as you know. Well, I don't know. They kind of wear on you after a little bit, just in terms of like, hey, come up with something original. So I'm sure you guys have plenty of those, you know, being, uh, I guess, as out there online as you guys usually are. Be you you being UCF fans. So so I mean, I guess let's let's go ahead and start there. As a fan base, as a team, as a program, what is the Big Twelve getting from UCF? Look, you're getting a team that's hungry with a chip on their shoulder, right? This is this is a school and a program that has been waiting for years for that opportunity. They've put together great seasons. And I think it's one of those situations, Andy, where, you know, all the Twitter warriors out there and all the, the experts out there always tell you, well, just win more games or go undefeated. Well, beat everybody. And UCF feels like they've done all those things. Build the facilities, get a fan base, sell at your stadium, have it on campus, have a have a winning season, go to bowl games. And I think UCF for the longest time was like, check, 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 check. Like, okay, wh- where's that opportunity? So I think for a lot of UCF fans, th- this whole entire process of getting to the Big 12 and July 1 coming around, a lot of it was vindication, vindication that all the work that's been going into the program for the last, you know, they've only been playing football for 40 years at this point. For the last 40 years, all that vindication is now coming to fruition. You're seeing that live and in action. So I think what you're getting is a, t- is a fan base that's hungry, that's ready to go compete. They'll have some fun with you. Uh, they'll have fun at the bounce house. If people come out to Orlando, they're going to travel, I think, well, at least in year one to, to see some of those sites. Uh, and you're getting a program that really, really cares. I mean, look, you can debate whether or not, there's some toxic relationships with UCF and other fan bases, right? The one thing you will never get is apathy. You will get passion from UCF fans. And if it's just me, Andy, I love that. I love the fact that you're going to have a passionate fan base. You're going to have people that are willing to go back and forth with other fan bases and not just throw their hands up and say, I don't care. So you're going to have some fun. We'll go back and forth. We'll have some barbs. Hopefully we win some games in the field, but you're getting a team that is, is uber motivated to get into this power five league and try to prove themselves again. Cause that's been the UCF. 
UCF journey. So uh, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of passion. I think, you know, hopefully the Big 12 fans and the Big 12 teams will welcome us with open arms. And then shortly after that, one of punches in the face. I mean, I think that goes without saying, like whenever we, you know, develop any kind of rivalries, we, we you know, very much uh, family type of relationship. And I think that's the thing that the Big 12 has, right, is that they have so many different schools that I don't think you would normally think would work together, but they're all used to being counted out. Um, with the exception of Oklahoma and Texas, who are now leaving, like every single one of those schools is used to people overlooking them, used to people, you know, putting them down. And and I think part of it's just because most of them are like Midwestern based um, or, you know, small or just in general, all of these sorts of things and reasons you could write them off. And that's what the Big 12 is. They're very high, um, you know, high achieving programs, especially considering the kind of expectations that people put on them. And I think that, you know, UCF fits in just perfectly. Like you said, they're, they're not an apathetic fan base. I lived down in St. Petersburg for quite a while and knew quite a few people, um, in, including someone who, who I worked with whose daughter went to UCF. So it's like, yeah, uh, they are very online. They are very passionate about their team. And that's what you want, right? You want those are going to drive dollars. Those are going to drive conversation. That's going to drive that engagement that the Big 12 is looking for. Um, and so – it doesn't hurt, obviously, that UCF has probably one of the biggest undergraduate enrollments in all of the nation. Um, you know, so they're going to continue to have additional fans and alumni, and and that fan base is going to grow exponentially. Um, but you know, I, I think the Big Twelve, what they did this time is go out and get those schools that really should have been Power Five before. Now there just wasn't the opportunity, and, and unfortunately, as as with most things, like it's not just about being prepared; it's about making sure that you're prepared when the opportunity comes. And there wasn't really opportunity, very many opportunities prior to this. And UCF, I think, is in a perfect spot now to be able to jump on and, and take advantage of one of those opportunities. So I am super excited to have UCF coming in. And, and you know what? If they go back down to if, – if, if, if KU goes down to Florida next year, um, I will be more than happy to come and take a road trip down to you know some, some places I used to live and, uh, and, and really enjoy myself down there. So. Well, you, you mentioned a couple of things about UCF. I don't know if people know this. So 2012, UCF accepts an invitation to join the Big East. And we're all excited. We're like, finally, this is it. We've made it. Power Five Conference. And like six weeks later, the Big East folds and right. becomes the American Conference. We had that one season in 2013 where we still had the BCS Bowl eligibility. That's the year UCF beats Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl. And the only reason we got that game is because we had that one remaining year on the BCS contract with the old Big East, right? So UCF's had the rug pulled out from under them before, right? We thought that was our opportunity. We thought this was going to be it. 2016, people probably forget UCF went and and got in front of the you know the, the powers that be in the Big 12, including Bob Bowlesby, and petitioned to join at that point. Obviously, the league at that point chose not to expand and and didn't really add anybody. But that was another opportunity where UCF said, "All right, hey, we're getting in front of the table again. Here we go." You know, it look it looks it looks good. And again, no expansion. So this is twice that UCF sort of been on the doorstep and thought they had opportunities, only to have the rug pulled out at the last second. So th- that's a, it's a fan base that's got a little bit. Of scars along that so to yeah. finally get to that power five level it was it was a super important moment for the program and for the school because twice before we're out the altar waiting for the bride to show up and and we ended up there by ourselves so it was it was good to finally 
close the transaction. But you're right. That that planning started in 2012. It started with, you know, well, actually started before that, right? UCF was the first school in Florida to build an on-campus um, indoor practice bubble. No other school had it. UCF was the first. We obviously have an on-campus stadium. We invested in a baseball field. We invested in the, in the basketball arena. And so UCF is trying to build and has been building that infrastructure. And I think that's the myth people got to realize. And I, I assume smart sports fans get this, but you know, you don't wake up in 2021 and join the, and uh, join the big 12, you know, six months later, that's right. a, that's a 10, 15 year effort. And some schools who want to be power five, haven't put in the same amount of resources that UCF has uh, to get there. So for, for UCF fans, this, this journey started a long time ago, the rug got yanked twice, but it's good to finally now be inside the power five with new opponents, with new horizons in front of us. And that's the vindicative, I think, feeling a lot of UCF fans have. Yeah. I was to say, we won't mention any of those, you know other schools like you know that that other school in florida that seems to think that they're also power five worthy um but no you know it, it's good i think to get the two teams that were probably the most responsible for no expansion um in, in texas and oklahoma out of the conference like that really kick-started it and i think made it a whole lot easier because i think what a lot of people don't realize is that this conference has always been it's a you know texas and oklahoma are kind of running the show because they're the most they were the most consistent and they brought in the most dollars and all that, but everybody else really resented them for that. But unfortunately, they kind of yeah. just had to live with it. Um, you know, Texas and Oklahoma, I think, actually might have been one of the best things for the long-term, you know, health of the conference because, yes, you know, they had to go through that pain. They had to bring in, and they don't have any of those quote-unquote marquee names anymore, but, you know, it's required them to identify what the conference actually wants to be, how everybody can contribute to the identity of this conference. They still play high-level football, basketball, baseball, and a bunch of other sports. Like, the main, I think the one the one spot where you could t- potentially are going to take a big hit is softball with, you know, you don't have Oklahoma mm-hmm. softball in the conference anymore. That's a huge loss. But the other, con- you know, the other teams around the other sports – the Big 12 has put up very, very good teams in every single other sport that they sponsor. So this is going to be, um, I think, a great opportunity. I, I do. I am curious, though, UCF being the only team down in Florida, kind of the only team in that area at all, like, is there any worry about the kind of remote nature of where you guys are that you don't really have a travel partner? Like, I think West Virginia is probably the closest school to you guys. Um, and, I mean, they're really, really far away still. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a concern. I think UCF is hoping to, you know, you mentioned that, that other school in Florida that's directionally challenged from their naming perspective. And I think UCF's hoping to find a rivalry with somebody, right? Like that's what makes college athletics fun is that that natural rival. And sometimes it comes from playing a school over and over again for, you know, decades and decades. And then sometimes it comes from proximity. We have neither of those right now. So I think there is an element of the fan base that's like, all right. I guess Cincinnati, we kind of don't like them. They don't like us. And we played Houston a bunch. And yeah, West Virginia is close, but it does feel a bit awkward to not yet really have that one school to kind of feel like you're in the heart of the, the rest of the, of the state. What's funny is I, I saw some people talking about, um, uh, the SEC announcing they're going to go to Dallas for their media day next year. Obviously that's been home turf for the big 12 the last yeah. couple of years. And there's a lot of conversation I saw on Twitter, someone saying like, Hey, they should move it around. Like then, you know, big 12 should move around. And somebody was like, let's, let's go to Orlando. And all the comments were like, hell heck no, I don't want to go to Orlando. It's in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing out there. That's the only place there. And so I looked at that, like my goodness, Orlando in, in July, hot by the way, but still right. a plenty for you to do. So right. I think there's still that element that we don't feel like we fit in 
in just yet. But I think the hope is once the games kick off and once schedules start and once games start to go, you know, that one of those natural rivalries will, you know, will emerge. But for right now, it is a bit awkward. Like, hey, we don't really have a dance partner yet. So it's kind of weird to, you know, we're like the new kid at school. We don't quite know yet what lunch table to sit at. So hopefully at some point we kind of figure that piece out. But right now we're sitting over there, you know, chicken tenders by ourselves. Yeah, I mean it's it is definitely one of the it's 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 difficult I think to move a conference event like that to one of the geographically sure. isolated areas. Like, you know, I think part of the reason it worked so well to have football, you know, media days in Dallas and then basketball media days in Kansas City is because those are very central locations to most of the conference and you have world-class facilities for those particular sports in those locations. So like like I thought it was funny, the SEC announcement going to Dallas, and everyone talked about how this was like, you know, a big shot across the bow, and it's like, well, they're going to the Omni. Like, they're going to a, a you know, a conference center, whereas the Big 12 has the big show. Like, they get to go yeah. to Jerry World and show off that way. So, it's I actually said it on Twitter. I think that was like a rare miss for the SEC in that they basically put themselves into a immediately under position by taking a second-best venue as opposed to – the big 12 having the best venue. So, um, I mean, I, I'm all for it. Let's, let's go ahead and make the SEC look as bad as we possibly can in any fashion that we get. So, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know that I would be opposed if they decided to do something like that, like, like rotate where they are, but I think I'd have to have a compelling reason for it other than, Hey, let's get into a bunch of different places when you have opportunities to be at those sort of venues that are known for what they do. So that being said, I am all for welcoming UCF as much as we possibly can. I am I'm glad that we get to play them in the first year um, in in football. I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of growth they can have with the basketball. I know that basketball hasn't necessarily been UCF's strong point, um, but we said the exact same thing about TCU when they first got here. They were you know awful when they got to the Big Twelve, and it took a while, but they finally got to the point where they now have probably you know they started last season ranked. There's talk about they may be another ranked team again this year at points like. This is just as strong of a TCU team basketball-wise as pretty much everybody else. So I definitely see the potential there for a team like UCF and, you know, being in Florida where there's a decent number of recruits and the ability to kind of pull recruits from other places as well. I think it's only a matter of time before UCF can use the the Power 5 conference affiliation to really kind of push all of their programs forward, not just football, not just basketball. So talking about... Football, like let's let's go ahead and jump into football specifically. I think everybody remembers, of course, the undefeated season. Everybody, of course, remembers like like you were talking about, you know, against Baylor in the, in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, you know, what is this program like at this point? Because you know they've been they've been in the American, you know, fighting with Cincinnati and Houston and some of those other teams for you know the the actual conference title there, looking to be you know the first one to break into college football playoff, which, which Cincinnati was able to do that you know, from the American, but what has the program been like since they've been in the American and kind of building towards this, this power five opportunity? Yeah. I mean, that's a long winded, uh, there's a long winded answer there. I, I think obviously you mentioned, we saw the highs of high with the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, and, and that win. And then the lows of low 2015 UCF does not win a game. Let me repeat that for those who yeah. thought I stuttered. They did not win a game zero and 12 and 2015. Don't worry. Kansas fans are familiar with that sort of thing. I'm sure they are. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> not win a game. George O'Leary, our, our coach gets fired. We bring in Scott Frost. You know, we have a good year in 2016, 2017 undefeated. And then this is where UCF's really been since 2017 and where as a program, I think, I don't know that they get enough credit for, for what they've done. I know fans are going to be like UCF takes every chance to get credit whenever they can. But since 2017, 
UCF is now on their third head coach. Scott Frost leaves for Nebraska. That didn't turn out well. We bring in Josh Heupel. And and listen, Josh Heupel is doing well in Tennessee, but I will tell you right now, we did not get the Josh Heupel at Tennessee at UCF. His offense was was okay, but it was not, definitely not as high-powered as you're seeing him at Tennessee. Maybe that's recruits. Maybe that's something else. Who well, knows? I, I think it's also fair to say that Josh Heupel needed some time to develop as a coach. Yes, and I think that's fair. As I'm, I don't, We didn't get that Josh Heupel that you're seeing in Tennessee now. Um, and so Heupel was there. He leaves, and we bring in Gus Malzahn. So three staffs over the course of basically four, four-and-a-half years. It's a lot of turnover. That's a lot of new assistant coaches, a lot of opportunity to, you know, to, to have kids come in and out that coincides with the transfer portal, which essentially allowed kids to get out and leave. So for UCF to continue to have winning seasons throughout that entire stretch and not feel any of the, the slide of having to basically turn over their football program every two, two and a half years. Again, I don't, I don't think they get enough credit for that. Now, were they winning, you know, 11, 12 games and going to, you know, New Year's six games all the time? No, they weren't. But they kept the program afloat and they continue to keep that continuity from coaching staff to coaching staff. In 2021, Gus Malzahn starts, and, and I think that's where you start to see the upward trajectory, at least from what the future could look like uh, and sort of where we could be from a program. You know, with all due respect to Scott Frost and Josh Heupel, first-time head coaches, right, learning how to be a coach themselves, learning how to run a program themselves. And I think, you know, unfortunately, sometimes all of us in the professional setting, you you kind of learn on the job, right? The old phrase, fake it till you make it. And I think Frost and Heupel did a really good job of doing that, but they were, you know, we were a stepping stone for them. They, they were looking to get to bigger and better. Having a coach come into Gus Malzahn that feels like he's going to be here to set up roots, knows what it's like to be a head coach, knows what it's like to run a program. I think that's really given UCF some of the stability it needs. Now I will be the first to tell you, I think on-field results haven't matched what we expected from Gus Malzahn. That's going to sound weird when you have eight, nine win seasons, but to your point, it's the American conference. I think we had opportunities to not lose games to ECU and to Navy. Right. Uh, and that's unfortunately what happened, you know, in, in multiple years. So I think it's a program that's on the rise, but it's scuffled a little bit in terms of, I think what the expectation is and what it could be. I was talking to somebody earlier this week and they basically said, UCF loses too much for the talent they have. Like for the talent UCF has, they've, they've lost more games than I thought they would have. And I think that's a fair statement. I think it's a fair statement to say, looking at the, the athletes they have on the field, looking at the playmakers they have on the field, they've lost more games than they should have. And I think that's a little bit of the bugaboo of UCF. But I will give it the asterisk of saying that's the, the growing pains of a program turning over coaching staffs, you know, in, in essentially three times in six years. That's That's really tough to rebound from. Yeah, un unfortunately, you guys don't get to play the Big 12's version of, you know, the team that loses way too much for the talent that they have this year in Texas. But, um, sure. yeah, no, <laughs> sorry, I, I couldn't help taking that shot at Texas. It, it's it's so much fun. You will come to enjoy it just as much as the rest of us. So, <laughs> Look, we're, used to, only a year. We're, we're used to horns down here at UCF, so we, we'll fit right in oh, if heck we're doing yeah. horns down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. I completely <laughs> forgot about that, so. But yeah, yeah so like, like you said, last year I think was a little bit disappointing, even though that they, you know, they won nine games last year. Um, you know, you had a Cincinnati team that was coming off of a college football playoff appearance that, you know, lost a ton of talent. So everybody expected them to take it to a step back. I don't think most people expected Tulane to jump up the way that they did. Um, but, you know, what is it, what is it like preparing for, um, you know, from a fan perspective, of course, but preparing for a big 12 schedule as opposed to a American schedule. I think the biggest concern, Andy, is, is going to be depth, right? I, I think that's, that's where UCF is really going to have to figure out, do, do they have what it takes? 
you know, I think UCF would tell you 11 on 11 man versus man on the, on the first units. I think they feel really good about their talent. I think they feel really good about how they stack up. It's just, if it's your first 11 versus our first 11 on both sides of the ball, I think UCF would go, you know what? We'll sign up for that. We'll take that chance. I, I think where UCF is going to have some challenges potentially is, well, what do you do when the receiver tweaks an ankle and you got to go to the second unit? What do you do when your starting safety gets a targeting penalty and is kicked out of the game, right? I think that's where UCF has to continue to, to make its mark. I think, look, four years ago, um, you know, the TCU defensive line that starts, you know, would have been the, the you know, probably even, I take that back, the second unit at TCU probably would have been the highest recruits ever at UCF, right? And I think that's what UCF has to do is build up that pipeline, build up that depth. And it takes a, you know, the, the American Conference, I don't know how to say this nicely without without insulting the American Conference, but um, look, I'm also the first to tell you that recruiting rankings don't always mean everything. But in the American Conference, you could win with three-star recruits, right? You could win with three-star recruits and a lot of talent and some good coaching, right? And you sprinkle a four-star in here and there and, and things are great. I don't think you can go in the Big 12 and win with just a roster of three-star recruits, right? You need to have four-star recruits that are your starting unit. And then your backups probably need to be low four, high three-star caliber guys. In the American Conference, you're 12-0 UCF if that's your roster, right? And so I think that's where UCF has to continue to find ways to build. If I have, if I have any concern, if I have anything that I'm looking at, is can they build the depth on both sides of the ball, particularly on the lines of scrimmage where big, large, giant people just don't grow on trees? Can we get the best ones to come to UCF and and fill in part of that, you know, that schematic? Again, 11-11, man-on-man, I think UCF would tell you, yeah, we feel good. We feel like we can we can take ours and beat yours. But again, when the left tackle, you know, tweaks a hammy and the middle linebacker gets poked in the eye and the starting cornerback has to come out of the game because he got hit, that's when all of a sudden things will get a little bit squirrely for UCF unless they can quickly shore up their depth, get some of these young guys some reps, and obviously continue to pound the transfer portal. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of depth, what does your backup quarterback look like? Because last year there was not a single Big 12 team that did not have to play a backup quarterback for at least a full game. That that's a really that's a really great question, Andy, and that's probably the biggest sticking point for UCF. So let me take you back to last year. We had a quarterback controversy coming into the into the season, right? We had John Rice Plumley, a transfer from Old Miss, uh, a guy that has a ton of talent, a guy that's an uber talented player. He comes in. Uh, and and there's a lot of buzz about him, but he hadn't played quarterback in a couple of years because he was a receiver at Old Miss when he got converted. We had Mikey Keene, who started a bunch of games for us in 2021 after Dylan Gabriel got injured. He played really well. UCF won eight games with Mikey Keene being a true freshman. There was a, a huge battle between those two in the offseason. John Rice Plumley wins the job. Mikey Keene was a capable backup, but John Rice Plumley did not play in or finish five games last year, right? right. Mikey Keene comes in, plays really well in his absence. Well, Mikey Keene's like, I'm not, I'm not the starter. Peace out. I'll see you later. He's now at Fresno State. So we have Timmy McLean, a former backup at uh, at the university in the west side of Florida. And we brought in Xavier Williams, a, a transfer from Charlotte. Two really unknown players who haven't played a lot of high-level football, haven't played a lot of winning football. So if John Rice Plumley can cannot finish the season, and he, again, he missed five, parts of and, and most of five games last year. If he can't finish the season, we're going to roll out two pretty untested quarterbacks versus what we had last year. That's a huge concern for UCF. And that's even bigger because if you watch any John Rice Plumley, the guy loves to run. 
Yeah. His legs are his biggest asset. And every time you're running with your legs, you're going to run the risk of someone putting their helmet on your shoulder, in your ribs, in your knee, and your thigh. And all it takes is one of those hits and, and Plumley can't play. So what's going to happen with this style? Is he going to have to be more of a drop back passer? Will they protect him better? You know, will he not scramble as much? Because if he goes down, there's a huge giant question mark at backup quarterback. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and looking at what he did last year, cause I, I try to watch as much as possible. Um, from, you know, prior clips before I jump onto these. But Plumlee did not look like a person who really took care of himself when he was running, right? He ran with a no. lot of reckless abandon. It was more, it was a much more about let's get that, you know, extra five or extra two or three yards rather than, hey, let's go out of bounds and make sure that I can actually play the next play. Um, that leads to injuries. I think that Kansas said, you know, Jalen Daniels did that a lot his first year. Last year, he, you know, unfortunately had a couple a couple plays in the TCU game where he was not, you know, being very careful. And, and you know, I think game situation kind of dictated that because it was a very low-scoring game. You knew that every first down was, was going to matter, at least in that first half. But he goes out with an injury. And then you come in in the second half, you know, and, and Jason Bean and Max Duggan just open up the game entirely. And it's a, it's, it's a shootout from that point forward. But, you know, Jalen Daniels learned a lot from that in terms of making sure he took care of himself. And, and so I think Plumlee's going to have to learn to do that, especially in the Big 12, where you can be a little bit more reckless, you know, with an American schedule because they don't have big, huge linebackers on every single team. Like, they don't have the the talent, the physical you know size, I think, across the board at most Big 12 schools. Uh, I'm sorry, at, at most of those American schools compared to the Big 12 schools. So... Yeah, it's going to be an adjustment. I'm I'm hoping that he stays healthy. Like I don't want to see nearly as much, you know, quarterback turnover as we saw last year because there was just there was just way too much. It was it was way too easy to look at a game and say, oh well, that one was affected by a quarterback injury, and so was that one, and so was like it was just it was not fun to watch in a lot of cases. Um, I do think where Kansas potentially has an advantage, you know, is that they have two quarterbacks that could be starters. Um, you know, yeah. you have you have Jalen Daniels who, you know. He's ranked number ten according to ESPN. He's the big he's the Big Twelve preseason offensive offensive player of the year. There's a lot of expectations for him. But if he was not the the starter here, I still think the Kansas would have a very good quarterback position. You know, with Jason Bean, obviously the backup wouldn't be nearly as good. But I think I think Kansas has a luxury there at the quarterback position that a lot of other teams don't. So I'll be very interested to see how UCF kind of navigates that in terms of the rest of the offense or like the style that they like to play, how does this offense under Gus, Gus Malzahn and his coaching staff attack the ball? How do they try to get the offense moving? Uh, so let me, let me answer that by, by really two ways. So one, um, what I don't think got reported enough. I don't think a lot of people know this as I've been on shows. I don't, I don't think this got out there. So Gus Malzahn announced that he is giving up play calling. He's no longer going to call plays at UCF. And obviously that's a huge sticking point of his time at Auburn and probably right. led to a little bit of his undoing there. Right. He got to UCF on his opening press conference and he said, I'm going to call plays for the rest of my career. And we were all like, all right, go for it, Gus. And then two years in, uh, he, he held a, a press conference, said that he's seating play calling duties. And we hired a new offensive coordinator named Darren Hinshaw, who spent some time at, uh, at um, Kentucky as an OC, spent some time at Cincinnati as an OC and last year at UAB as offensive coordinator. That Darren Hinshaw is a former UCF player. He's an alum of UCF, so it's a homecoming for him. So it's kind of a good news story for the fan base. But here's the thing. I have no idea if he can call offense because in a lot of his stops, he's been either a co-OC or it's, it's he's had a head coach that's really dominated the, the play calling. So we don't really yet know what is this offense going to be. When Gus says I'm giving up play calling, is that wink, wink? I'm giving up play calling or is that I'm legit giving up play calling? He's telling us right now I'm legit giving up play calling. 
Now, does that mean he's not going to be in the headset of Darren Hinch? I'll be like, hey, it's third and four. Let's make sure we throw this. I don't know. So that's a huge unknown for UCF is who's really calling the plays. Whose offense is this? Is this Gus's offense or is this Hinshaw's offense? Hinshaw's told us that his philosophy is he wants to throw the ball downfield. He wants to open up the middle of the field. He wants to get vertical with the passing game. By the way, every offensive coordinator I've ever heard talk says that exact same thing at their opening press conference. So no idea if that's true or not. (laughs) The Gus Malzahn system was really – Here's the way I always kind of describe Gus, man. I don't, I don't know how much you've ever seen Gus's uh, offenses at Auburn at UCF. I, I think it's, you know, he did the read option, right? And I think he did a good job getting his quarterback in space. He always likes a running quarterback, a quarterback that's going to get some yards with his legs, always wants a running back that's really going to be able to pound the football uh, and have some some big guys over the middle to catch passes. That's been the Gus Malzahn system, right? He ran that pretty well at UCF. Look at our running statistics last year. I think we were top 30, something like that in, in rushing um, and top 30 overall in offense. So the offense was clicking. But when it was time to, it was like third and five, Andy, I felt like what Gus would do is instead of calling the the best play for third and five he would try to outsmart the other team you know instead of being like hey I'm, you know what's working here it's you know the halfback option i'm gonna run to the left he would be like you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna pitch it to this guy we're gonna do a double reverse and we're gonna see if the kicker can run it like he always had these wild play calls and it was like gus just run what you run and maybe we get those those five yards but he always outsmarted himself so he's allegedly given up play calling Hinshaw's allegedly going to open up the offense, more vertical passing, you know, more downfield shots, which is interesting. It's not a Plumlee strength. Throwing the ball and throwing the ball with with accuracy deep is not something that Plumlee's really excelled at. So this offseason development really has to be strong for JRP if that's going to work from an offensive standpoint. But everything we're hearing out of camp right now is is they're more vertical. They're going to be more in the passing game, uh, but they still want to run the football and establish the line of scrimmage. Again, classic coach peaks, but we don't quite yet know exactly what we're getting offensively with with Darren Henshaw. Yeah, that sounds like it's going to be a whole lot of fun. So, <laughs> And I'm not yeah. sure if I'm being serious or being sarcastic there. So I guess we'll find out at the end of the year. All right. Yeah, do- it's, it's a big head scratcher. It's a big head scratcher because, again, is how many head coaches do you know that are willing to put their ego aside and go, hey, I'm going to let this guy take control? Maybe it happens here and there, but I've been watching college football my my entire life. I know you have as well. I can't think of too many times where you saw a head coach go, you know what? This guy's got it. So is is Gus going to get the itch, you know, third quarter, down 10? Is he going to be like, you know what, Darren, I'll call the series. I guess we'll find out. Yep. All right. I do want to go ahead and shift over to the defense. Uh, but before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk podcast. And we're back. I am here with Adam Eaton of the Sons of UCF podcast right here on the 1012 network um adam we talked about the offense obviously we talked about you know coming to the big 12 and all of that but this defense because you know i think the big 12 is not known for their defenses even though they have quite a few teams that have really good defenses um especially you know you look at like an iowa state that has a phenomenal defense every year but their offense you know usually is lacking in some fashion you've got baylor's had a good defense for a, a while tcu had you know under Gary Patterson was known for how good his defenses were. You need to have a good defense, I think, to handle most of the good offenses that we have here in the conference. So what does the defense look like for UCF? Who are the big guys that are coming back that you're expecting to be big contributors? So at the risk of becoming a broken record, Andy, I will tell you, Again, don't know. We have no idea. We have no <laughs> idea. And here's why. So, um, uh, Addison Williams is our new defensive coordinator, first time DC. He was on staff last year as the secondary coach. He took over for Travis Williams, no relation, who left UCF to take the DC job at Arkansas. So, um, a first year defensive coordinator, although on staff. So, we, 
I don't think we yet know exactly what his particular style of defense will be. Since he's on staff, you would think that maybe some of what they did will hold over a little bit. Um, but again, we've never seen Addison Williams call a defense and coordinate a defense. So that's very like fun a for UCF. Bold strategy to come into the first year in the Big 12 with a brand new OC and a brand new DC. But it's, hey. yeah, bold move, Cotton, for, for it's sure. The, it's the taken by surprise. They don't know what to expect, right? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, Addison Williams is is a coach that was rumored to have opportunities to leave UCF for other defensive coordinator jobs. Um, I heard some rumors that he was up for the Liberty defensive coordinator job. So I think when Travis left, Gus, you know, perhaps jumps the gun and says this is a, a young up and coming head co- coach and maybe a head coach, you know, candidate at some point. But we don't know where we're yet. UCF typically played a four two five. That was essentially the coverage last year under Travis Williams. If that holds true. Again, who who really knows? The strength of the defense is going to be the defensive line. Uh, we've, we've got, you know, basically three large human beings coming back. Ricky Barber, Lee Hunter, Tremont Morris, Brash. Those are the, really the big three up front. The highest ever recruit in UCF history, John Walker, defensive tackle. He comes in this season as well. Plus, we fortify with a couple of guys from the transfer portal. So that that front four should be pretty stout. It's the back seven, Andy. That's going to be a huge issue for UCF, particularly the secondary. Uh, UCF likes to run essentially, uh, you know, a four four traditional secondary uh, players, if you will, and then one sort of uh, what we call the knight, which is kind of like a hybrid linebacker uh, safety position. Uh, four of those five guys will be brand new starters this season, so they're going to have a lot of newness. Um, a lot of these guys are coming in from transfers. Uh, one Fred Davis from Clemson is coming in. And then one of the UCF strategies they've really employed the last couple of seasons is they've hit the transfer portal hard at the FCS level. So they found guys that have played four and five years, high level ball and the S and the FCS you know, divisions. And they've brought those guys into UCF with a lot of experience. They've had some success there. So I think there's three guys they've brought in in the secondary that had some really good experience at the FCS level. So it's a secondary that's going to be getting together and gelling together linebackers are going to be kind of newer and, and inexperienced and then a stout D line. So it's going to be a real crapshoot. And a lot of it's going to depend on how Addison Williams wants Williams wants to call defense. Travis Williams was, was heavy on blitz, but very soft on coverage. And so if you just wanted to run a five yard out route, you had it open all day long, go back and watch the two lane game in the American conference championship. I mean, receivers were running 10 routes, turn, 10 yards, turn around and the ball was on them with no issue. So will Addison be more aggressive? Can the secondary be more aggressive? A lot of questions on the off on the defense, rather. I think with the offense, you know what you have. It just boils down to can they execute with the defense? It's literally like, I, I don't know what we have here. Do we have a defense that can hold up? Yeah, which could be a problem since there's a lot of teams, I think, in the Big 12 that have offensive lines that can at least hold for, you know, a good two, three seconds to give a quarterback an opportunity to get out there and do something. That's how Kansas made their, you know, bank last year was extending plays, finding guys that were open downfield. And so it sounds like that could be a real big problem if they haven't ironed it out. Now, luckily, you guys don't play the Jayhawks until, you know, game six of the season. So there's some time to figure it out before that actually happens. But um, it's definitely a concern, I think, for a lot of teams. Like, UCF is not going to be the only team that has to worry about Kansas' ability to stretch plays and, you know, throw the ball downfield with really pinpoint accuracy that, that Jalen Daniels has. So, but... It is definitely something I think that they're going to have to worry about. Um, this this game, or I guess let's let's go ahead and take a look then at the schedule real quick because UCF gets five road games their first season in the Big Twelve. I don't I don't know that that's like someone was going to have to do it. And in fact, I think Kansas has gotten kind of the short end of the stick of that a couple times where they've had multiple years in a row where they've had to play five road games. But um, 
you know, what, what are your thoughts on the schedule overall? Like as you look at it um, this year, as opposed to what you had last year, like how does this, the, the schedule shape up? Are there any kind of stretches that you're worried about or you're, you're really happy about? Like what, what are the thoughts about this schedule going into the year? Yeah, I think the front half is brutal, right? The front half is absolutely brutal. Uh, Kansas State to, to kick everything off, then it's Baylor, right? Then I think it's Kansas after that. Uh, then a bye week, then Oklahoma, right? That, that's a brutal stretch right there for, yeah. for UCF. Uh, and, and that's going to be tough. I think those are the games that you say, you know, not to do hyperbole, but I think that stretch can really make or break our season at that point. Uh, and that's not to mention non-conference. UCF has to go to Boise State second week of the season, right? Boise State, not the Boise State of old, but playing on the blue turf in Idaho, long flight. I mean, crazy stuff can happen out there. So I think that front half of the schedule is really going to be what makes or breaks UCF's uh, team this year. Uh, the back half feels like there's some opportunities to win some games, right? You got West Virginia. I don't know if we know what they're going to be. Houston, we played a bunch, and, and I think we're familiar with them. Since he's on a bit of a rebuild, uh, Oklahoma State's in there, so that, that may be a bit of an interesting one. But that back half feels like it's got some games that UCF can at least be in. We also have uh, Texas Tech on that back half, which I know a lot of people are, are kind of bullish on Texas Tech this year in the Big 12. So I think that front half, though, if we – we can't come out of that front half with at least a, a 500 clip. I think it's going to be a really tough sledding. Uh, but again, it, that, that, I think that'll make or break our season. How, how we get through those first four games uh, on the conference and again, throw in Boise at that point as well. I think that that'll tell the tale for what UCF in 2023 will be. Yeah, for sure. Um, of that schedule, is there any one game in particular that, that jumps out to you as the one you're most excited about? Uh, so I was on an Oklahoma State podcast, and oddly enough, I got aggregated for this comment about Oklahoma, which is weird. But for UCF fans, obviously, Oklahoma leaving, you know, leaving the Big 12. So this is our one opportunity to play Oklahoma. I can't imagine a scenario where we're playing Oklahoma anytime soon outside of a bowl game, right? right. Going to Norman, which obviously is a stadium. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a setting that a lot of people who love college football want to be a part of, right? So going to Oklahoma is cool. Look, I think being the new kid on the block, right, we'd love to stick up for our, to your point, our new family and go in there and, and beat the bully. Right. And that's kind of what Oklahoma and Texas are right there. The, the guys leaving the conference. So we'd love to be the new kid on the block to go beat them and say, Hey, see, we're with you guys. We love all you guys in the big 12. Right. And kind of, kind of be that team that, that does that. And Oh, by the way, the quarterback for Oklahoma is one Dylan Gabriel, who was oh, previously yeah. the quarterback at UCF and did not leave under some of the best circumstances after he left. There's a lot of conversation his 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 demeanor, his attitude, and, and some other things behind the scenes. So for fans specifically, certainly no love lost with, with Dylan Gabriel. A lot of the players are, are probably are, are mostly gone from those teams. There's a few holdovers. So players, I'm sure, are fine. And, and you know, you want to beat the guy who used to play with. But for UCF fans, one time going to Oklahoma, uh, you know, a team leaving us for, for the SEC, a chance to kind of carry the flag for the Big 12 and potentially to give it to our old quarterback. I think that's the game everybody has circled on the calendar. That's the one I think that everyone's looking forward to. And I imagine that'll be the game that the most UCF fans travel to. That makes a whole lot of sense. And you know, look, Oklahoma State fans can be petty as they want. They, you know, getting upset at you for that answer. It was Oklahoma fans. It was actually Oklahoma fans oh, who Oklahoma heard fans. that, and then oh. and then we're mad at me saying that UCF wants to give it to Oklahoma, and then the, oh, well, they want to take it to Oklahoma. Which, but see, by the way, the we, we all do, right? Everybody wants to, right? Like I have yet to talk to someone who is not affiliated with either Texas or Oklahoma that does not want both of them to combine for a one in seventeen record in the Big Twelve this year. So, for sure, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that's unreasonable at all. Oklahoma fans, uh, unfortunately, there's a large contingent of Oklahoma fans who 
believe that the only reason that they're getting any flack at all is because Texas is leaving with them and everybody hates Texas. And that's not always the case, but I will say it is definitely, um, it is definitely very satisfying to be able to beat a team like a Texas or an Oklahoma. Um, haven't seen Kansas do that yet to Oklahoma, but you know, we've, we've, we've got a couple of them against Texas. So, um, those will be fun to hold over those SEC teams, you know, for quite a long time. Um, all right, so I guess let's go ahead and uh, and and wrap up. What uh, is there anything else about this UCF program, about the school, about the team, anything that you think that we should know before we get out of here for the day? Well, obviously, you're not coming to Orlando uh, this season, at least in in football. I think you're coming to Orlando in basketball, but not in football. But I would encourage everybody to to come out and check out the bounce house. I I think that's the thing that people will probably know the most. The answer that I get asked a lot is, does the stadium really bounce? And the question is, yes, it does actually bounce. So when uh, when we play Zombie Nation, a few other songs that that, um, kind of bring the team out, everyone jumps up and down. And the stadium does have a bit of a bounce. Trust me, it's safe. I'm sure there are engineers who are checked into all that stuff, right? So... It is safe. It is hot down in Florida too. So depending on the time of year you're there, bring either a sweat towel or a lot of, a lot of liquids that don't have alcohol in because you may need the hydration, but uh, the stadium does bounce. It's a lot of fun to be there. Uh, And it's a growing, growing fan base. Look, we're going to annoy you on Twitter. I'm sorry in advance. The week you play UCF, you're going to hear about it. People are going to seek you out out of nowhere just to have conversations and fight and argue. So I apologize in advance. Look, I get that all the time with Kansas State fans, so I don't sure. know that it's going to be that much different for me personally. But I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, there's going to be a bunch of people. So apologies in advance. It's all <laughs> in good fun, though. Uh, and there's a lot of really, really good UCF fans out there. Are just excited for the ride, man. Andy, I don't, I don't, I don't have the history of Kansas kind of, pe- kind of pegged off the top of my head, but UCF was founded in 1960. First class was held in 1968. Football started in 1979. There are literally people alive right now who were a part of this entire journey and saw it from start to finish. Right. right. I mean, my great, my great grandparents were around when Florida started. Right. So to be here on the ground floor, as the university kind of takes off and kind of moves forward, it's such a cool opportunity for, for a lot of UCF fans and alums. And so you're going to feel that excitement, but again, it's all in good natured fun. And, and I can tell you, we're super excited about being in the big 12 and, and getting, getting involved with the other schools and getting to visit schools. I think that's the question we get asked a lot and we ask a lot of, people is where should we go which 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 stadiums which cities you know what should we do when we're there we've had we've had the the city commerce chamber of 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 lubbock on to to try to pitch us on going to lubbock right so (laughs) i think ucf ucf fans are just excited to be a part of it we may come across a little bit brash but it's all in good fun hey at least some i mean someone has to do it right like someone has to embrace the villain role when texas and oklahoma leave so why yeah, not? UCF Why not is UCF? more than willing. Yeah, more than willing <laughs> to step up and do that. No, yeah, I am looking forward to when you guys get to come and visit, uh, especially for basketball season. Allen Fieldhouse is one of those places you absolutely have to go to. I was so um, I was so, so mad, Andy. I saw today we don't come to Allen. You you guys come to UCF this year. We yeah, don't go to this Kansas. Year. So I was all, so mad. That's was, all right. Next that's a bucket year. list for me. That's a bucket list oh, for yeah. me is to go to go to Fog Allen. Yeah, it's it's a whole lot of fun. Um, you know, I didn't even look at the women's schedule. I think the women's schedule is out for the conference as well. Um, I'd be interested to see if UCF women get to come up to, to Allen. They still play in Allen Fieldhouse, so you'd still our, get our the opportunity. But <laughs> Not very good. Yeah, not very good. Don't worry. I, I've been there as well. So, um, All right. Well, I think that's going to go ahead and do it for us today. Adam, for those that want to catch all the great work that you guys do um, and, and learn more about UCF, what's, what's the best way that they can do that? 
Yeah, first off, really excited to be part of the 1012 network. Uh, it's been a great experience for us. And finally, a year being in the Big 12, we were kind of the, the sort of the stepchild last year, part of the network, but not right. part it of was the conference. The, it so. was the get, get to know the yeah. people that are going to be part of the conference we were like in the we were like in the friend zone all year last year right now right. we finally can 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 it move was like it was like status. the it was like the the trial period right before before getting like yeah. like moving in together before you get married yep yeah <laughs> don't touch my toothbrush but uh so we're happy to finally be here and on the, on the full slate uh catch us uh audio podcast wherever you do your downloadable content apple spotify google iheart wherever you get downloadable content you can you can find the sons of ucf we also have a video component uh we have a youtube channel at sons of ucf we do live shows every thursday we also have some tape shows we, we do some interviews with players uh you know some some exclusive stuff there so subscribe to our youtube channel as well everything we do on video we also put on audio so if audio is your thing again subscribe to the feed and we'll have you covered and then when your socials are active twitter I don't know. Are we doing threads these days? I don't really know where people are at. Twitter, threads, <laughs> exactly. Instagram, Facebook. You can just find us by searching at Sons of UCF. Awesome. Well, yeah, I, I love all the stuff you guys have been doing. I know when, when Philip and I reached out to kind of bring you guys on, we were really excited with all the stuff that you're doing. And I, I got to say, I'm kind of jealous of all the players you get to talk to and all the additional stuff that you get to do. So uh, really, really enjoy the content. And like you said, if you really want to know anything about UCF athletics, you guys are the place to go because you're probably, you've probably already talked to somebody about that particular program. So, all right, that is going to do it for us today. Adam, thank you so much for joining me and thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, where it's Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other, Oh, I'm sorry, not Stitcher anymore because they're shutting that down, but anywhere else you can download your podcast. Um, just search for rock chalk podcast. You can subscribe, get every single episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating interview, five stars, nice comments would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is. We can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. And, of course, we are part of the 10 Podcast Network covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference, all 14 of them this year. Um, and, you know, we have a show for almost every single school that's in the conference. So make sure you go over to 1012network.com to get links to all of the shows that we have to cover all those teams. But that's going to do it for us today. Adam, again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Network.